Welcome to the Block School Podcast, a series devoted to business, leadership, and community impact in Kansas City. I'm Brian Kloss, Dean here at the Block School. Block is Kansas City's business school, and in this podcast, we will be learning what some of the top minds with the Kansas City Connection are thinking about opportunities for economic and social impact. We will be getting insights from business and civic leaders, entrepreneurs, nonprofit innovators, and policy experts. We are launching the Block School podcast with alumni impact episodes, where we highlight the impact of Block alumni in Kansas City and beyond. Today, we speak with Tammy Edwards. Tammy is Senior Vice President for the Community Engagement and Inclusion Division at the Kansas City Federal Reserve. In her role, she also serves as Director of the Office for Minority and Women Inclusion. Tammy graduated from the Block School with her BBA and MBA. After graduating from Block, Tammy joined Sprint and advanced to a number of critical leadership roles. Tammy joined the Kansas City Federal Reserve in 2008 and has played a central role in several key initiatives at the bank. Tammy's responsibilities extend across the seven-state region that make up the 10th Federal Reserve District. Tammy is a frequent speaker on topics related to economic, workforce, and community development. She also co-edited a recent book entitled Transforming Workforce Development Policies for the 21st Century. Tammy is very involved in civic and community organizations, serving on the board for organizations such as Kansas City Scholars, Kansas City Workforce Investment Board, and Kansas City Public Television, as well as the Jacob Luce Foundation and the Kansas City Friends of Alvin Ailey. Tammy, thank you for joining us. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. So, Tammy, much of your career was in the corporate world. Now you're leading community engagement initiatives for the Kansas City Fed. What excites you about your role at the Kansas City Fed? What are some of the initiatives that you think will be most impactful? Well, you know, I first would like to say I'm still in the corporate world because as a nation central bank, we are a corporation. Corporation. Yes, we have, in fact, four boards of directors and four advisory councils, and we have our shareholders and customers. So, but just in a different setting, in a different type of corporation, as a nation central bank, we work to ensure that our economy is inclusive and healthy for households, for businesses, for communities. And that's what excited me about joining the Kansas City Fed almost 13 years ago. One, I get to work with some incredible people throughout our bank. We have about 2,000 employees throughout our seven states and incredible stakeholders in the community, as well as throughout the Federal Reserve System. And the initiatives that my particular division is focused on impacts not only our internal customers, meaning our employees, but our external customers as well, especially in the community development work that we do. And so the work that I'm doing now every day is a great combination of my personal and professional passions. So I'm lucky to do it every day. I'm sure the pandemic created some special challenges in terms of the role that you're fulfilling. Our community has been greatly affected by the pandemic, and some sectors have been very, very severely harmed by this. So what have you been seeing in terms of the challenges being experienced and how has that affected some of the engagement initiatives that you have been pursuing at the Kansas City Fed? 
Well, Brian, with the customers I serve, especially the external and community engagement work, we primarily work with low-wage workers and the nonprofits who serve them. We work with small business leaders, small business owners. And as you can imagine, and you've already alluded to, when we think about the impact in the economy, low-wage workers, women, people of color were disproportionately impacted with the virus because of the types of jobs that they had. They were mainly service-based in jobs that they could not do remotely. And when we think about the millions of women who left the workforce because of the pandemic, it was not only because of the sector of the economy they were working in, but in many cases, because they had to become caregivers when schools went remote and some are still remote. And so the work that we have been doing has been primarily focused on all of our five focus areas in our community development space, digital inclusion, getting investments via grants and access to capital to small businesses, affordable housing, because we continue to have an eviction crisis, as well as workforce development and small business development. And that's where we've been focusing our time and our talents over the last year to really help organizations and policymakers understand the research behind what's happening. And we've been creating and offering programs and resources to bring people together to work on solutions. Now, part of your role is influencing how people think about these challenges. It's about leading people to maybe having a different perspective. So from a leadership perspective, When you think about the various stakeholders that you work with who might have very distinct perspectives, what do you see as being the major challenges in terms of bringing them together and getting them to move in a direction that will be responsive to the concerns that are in the community? Well, you are right. We do have the fortune to work with a diverse group of stakeholders, and I mean diverse in every way, nonprofit leaders, business leaders small business owners, small business support organizations, bankers. And so our scope is very wide, but that's also very exciting. And in thinking about mind shifts and convening the various stakeholders to drive to a particular solution or really understand the challenges that can address a solution, it's myself as well as my team members, we first really work to understand the perspectives of others. Because we don't approach a particular situation thinking that we have all the answers. In some cases, we have not been in their shoes. So it's first important to understand and then share the knowledge, the research, the experiences, the expertise that we have to work together to solve and address initiatives. And it's also important, and we found this out time and time again, and we encourage others to do this, is to make sure that we include people at the table who we're trying to impact. Because so often organizations are expected to or been challenged by stakeholders about coming in and saving the day without inviting those that you're really trying to impact at the table so you can hear directly from them. And so we've been really focused on ensuring that the right voices are at the right table. And that has really increased the outcomes. Everyone talks about leadership and mindset. And what I hear you saying that in your role, your mindset is very much focused on listening. 
and being inclusive. Am I capturing that accurately? You are so correct. Listening, being inclusive, building trust, having credibility, and sticking to our values. At the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, we have five core values, integrity, service, personal growth, and development, inclusion, and innovation. By sticking with those core values in all that we do, whether it's our internal work or our external work, that has proven very effective. So often when people think about leadership, they think about situations where others are reporting to them. And you're operating in an environment where they're not reporting to you, but they're part of your team and your coalition. And you just have to use other tools to engage them. You're right, especially with our external community engagement work. Our customers don't report to the Kansas City Fair, report to me, but we are a trusted entity. We are a neutral convener, as we say. We are known to have credible research and resources. We are known to have impact. And because of those attributes, if you will, we have built trust. And we take that very seriously. And with that trust, we're able to bring parties together that probably wouldn't be in the same room or virtual environment and to really work on and come to a shared understanding of what's important. And that has, again, served us well. And I think that's why we are called upon often to be a part of, and in many cases, lead initiatives that impact our communities especially in the work that I do at the bank, lower-income communities and in small businesses. You talk about being a neutral convener. So when you think about how you approach your role, how do you get people to see things in a different light? You're in a room, different views. What's the approach that you take? Well, sometimes I don't get them to see a different light, and I have to be okay with that. Because again, we're all approaching challenges and in situations from various perspectives. And that's one of the values of diversity. But by being inclusive, it's important that all values and all views are heard and respected. And so that is always a part of the work that we do in hearing those various views and being in rooms or situations where we may not start off with or we may not end with common views or the same views. But The goal is always to leave with shared respect and being clear about who it is and what we are trying to impact. But it's probably something that I learned from being at UMKC, the old Stephen Covey saying, first understand and then try to be understood. So that's one of our foundations. So I guess the phrase agree to disagree is something that comes up in your role on a regular basis. No, it doesn't come up on a regular basis. I think it's because of some of the areas that I mentioned earlier, because people know who we are and what we bring to the table and how important we take our role as being a central bank and we are a mission-driven public service institution. There's not often disagreement. There may be different ways that we approach things, but it's very few times that we have disagreements uh, when we are working with stakeholders. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Let me talk now about maybe a topic that is near to your heart in, in a different way, and that is workforce development, maybe in the future. So we know that the economy has just gone through a lot of change in the last year. 
If we look out 10 years, the economy is going to go through dramatic change because of technology and the implications for workforce development are going to be massive. So how is that affecting how you are approaching community engagement initiatives relating to workforce development at the Fed? It's funny that you note 10 years when we just have it last with 13 months, 12, 13 months. Just think about the change that we've gone through. It's uh, been 10 years worth yes, of change right there. Exactly, yes. exactly. But when we think about workforce development, especially with uh, lower skilled individuals, we are focusing on and, and we'll continue to focus on ensuring that those who are in the workforce, especially those who have at least a high school diploma, but not necessarily a four-year degree. We work to prepare those individuals for what we call opportunity occupations. So occupations that don't require a four-year degree, but one can make a above livable wage. And so that's very important. So what we are focused on now, and we will continue to be focused on, not sure about 10 years, because probably in another year, it'll be something else, is ensuring that lower skilled individuals have the skills for what the employers need today and in the coming future. Right now, people will share that there's a skill mismatch. What employers are seeking is not necessarily what's in the labor force right now. And so that's why we've been working with community colleges, workforce development organizations, employers, to ensure that both of those parties, the employers and those who are training workers, are talking to each other. Because that was one of the aha moments that we received probably five, six years ago when we really started focusing on workforce development in our organization, is that they weren't talking. So again, as that neutral convener, we start bringing the parties together to solve not only what would be needed today, but kind of, kind of skating where the puck is going and preparing workers for what would be needed 12 months, 24 months down the line. So one of the things that we see with great leaders is they have an ability to sort of sense what's going on throughout the community. And they have a sense for, in different spaces, what's happening. So tell us about your network of connections that kind of keeps you in tune with what's going on How did that network develop and how important is that network for you in getting good ideas? A strong, inclusive, diverse network is critical to what I do and what we do in community engagement. That's why I rely on my great staff who are located not only here in Kansas City, but we have branch offices in Omaha, Denver, as well as Oklahoma City. And so they're using their networks. As I mentioned, we have four boards of directors, four advisory councils who provide great insight into what they're seeing and experiencing and hearing. And they are a part of our network, as well as all of the stakeholders and community partners that we work with on a daily basis, bankers, policymakers, practitioners in community development, those who are involved with small business development workforce investment boards, educators, so housing experts, it's nonprofit leaders, labor leaders. Because of what we do and who we are, we are fortunate to work with and get to know and listen to and receive information from various sources. 
We also have a fabulous staff of economists at the bank, as well as throughout the Federal Reserve System, who publish very insightful research on practically a daily basis on various topics that we utilize in community development. I have an economist on my staff who looks at the micro economies as they impact community development and lower income individuals and communities. The insights that we gain from our surveys, from our roundtables, help inform what we do as well in those networks. And then something that I encourage on a personal level, something that I encourage professionals as well as students that I mentor to develop a personal board of directors. We know what a corporate board of directors is and does, but many people don't understand the value of having a personal board of directors as a part of your personal network that should be made up, again, of people from various demographics and sectors in the economy and have various skill sets and reach because they, again, help inform you personally and professionally. So that's important as well. So when was the first time in your career that you formed, intentionally, a personal board of directors? When I was an undergraduate student at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And uh, that's because when I was in undergrad, I was a part of a program called En-ROADS. And En-ROADS is a national organization that is focused on preparing students of color who were going to major in engineering or business. And if you graduate in the top 10% of your high school class, you were invited to the En-ROADS program. And they would not only provide professional development and personal development sessions for you, but they would also connect you with local employers for internships. And Sprint was my sponsoring company. And so that's how I arrived at Sprint. I interned at Sprint or various companies within Sprint throughout my undergraduate work at UMKC. And the corporate offices at that point were very close to the campus. So it was great. I would go to school and then go to Sprint after school every day as an intern. But it was during my undergraduate years and my work with En-ROADS that they taught us the value of developing and, and sustaining and evolving a personal board of networks. So when you think back to the various individuals who have been on your networks over the years, can you recall an instance where there was a a pivotal conversation where that individual helped you see things in a different light in a way that really changed your direction? Yes, very much so. One individual who is still on my personal board of directors, but in a different capacity now, because again, your board continues to evolve based on your needs. But in this particular case, it was right when I started graduate school there at UMKC. I was a newlywed and I had been married for about a year and I was a new mother and working full time and going to graduate school in the evenings. And she had already gone down a similar path. And one of the pieces of advice that she gave me that I still think about and try to utilize every day is let others help you. Put away your cape and don't try to be superwoman. Ask for what you need, because if you don't ask, you won't get it. And that was an aha moment, because at that point, I was trying to do everything, being a wife, a mother, a daughter, an employee, and a great student uh, there at UMKC. 
as well as I was always active in the community in some capacity. And so doing that as well. And one day I ended up in the hospital because it ended up, I thought I was having a heart attack, but it was actually a panic attack because I was exhausted. And so we had a, what we call a come to Jesus meeting. And I took her advice to heart. Things turned around very quickly. And have you gotten comfortable with come to Jesus meetings when you are serving as a mentor to your staff or others that you're working with? Yes, because I have been a recipient of such advice and it's helped me. And I think it's my responsibility to also give timely and honest feedback and feedback that is actionable. Because I think so often, especially for women and people of color, we don't often get actionable feedback. And unless we do, we really don't know what it is we're trying to change or how to change it. And so that's not only something that I utilize with, again, those are a mentor or or those on my staff, but I also encourage other leaders to ensure that their feedback is timely, honest, and actionable. Great advice. Great advice. So leaders in many organizations increasingly recognize the need to create an environment that is inclusive and encourages diverse viewpoints and perspectives. You lead diversity inclusion efforts at the Kansas City Fed. Based on your experience there and prior roles, what advice would you give to those trying to encourage an environment that is inclusive and diverse? That's a big question, I realize. And and many components because, you know, it's um, because one size doesn't fit all. But I think the very first piece of advice we use on a regular basis at the Kansas City Fed, but when I'm working with other organizations, the first piece of advice I give them is know where you are. And there's several ways to know where you are, especially in evaluating how inclusive your culture is or is not. But one way is an engagement survey. Ask your employees what they think about the inclusive culture, or is it a culture of belonging? I say diversity is a fact. Diversity is something you usually count. Inclusion is behaviors, and behaviors that are exhibited over and over and over again. And then belonging is a feeling. And one way to assess it is with engagement surveys to know where you are. Another way that I encourage companies or organizations to assess where they are with their inclusive culture is uh, host roundtables or listening sessions with their employees to hear directly from employees what they think and how they are feeling. And then with the diversity component, it's very important to know your numbers, know what your representation is by various levels of the organization. Be transparent with the data. Also, make sure you're measuring the right areas so that you can uncover any potential barriers that might be impacting your employer, your employees, or your suppliers. Because diversity and inclusion also is applicable to what you buy from suppliers, the technical assistance you provide, what you're procuring. And so knowing your numbers and then working with leaders throughout the organization to know where you are and decide where you want to go is important. And then providing organizations or providing your internal staff, your external stakeholders with the research, with resources, with training experiences to help them grow and understand the different perspectives of others so they can be more aware of how their behaviors are impacting outcomes. 
how have the challenges of your job in inclusion and diversity, how have they changed over the years? Wow. They've evolved. And that's a great thing because organizations, it's like the saying, when you know better, you do better. So there are many more resources available now to help organizations. Organizations are getting better at, again, asking and listening and learning and working together internally on solutions. And so it evolved because we all are wanting to attract and retain top talent. And the top talent is becoming more and more diverse. And when we think about where we are from a race and ethnicity standpoint today in the United States, those 18 and below, people of color are in the majority. We will be a majority, what some people call minority, and that's not a term I like to use. I use people of color. But in a few years, and we'll, some say 2042 or so, we will be a country where the majority of our residents are people of color. And so if we are going to want to attract and retain top talent, we have to be an organization that is inclusive and that promotes a sense of belonging. Because if you don't have inclusion, if you don't have belonging, you won't attract and keep diversity. I have to say, I love how so many of your answers include phrases like asking, listening, learning, listening, listening, learning, asking. Important. And I think so often we don't start there. We start from a posture of wanting to tell people or to try to prove how smart we are and what we know or what we have. And I have just found it's uh, I am impacted more and I'm a much better person because I'm not always successful at it, but I try to listen first and understand first before I offer my perspectives. So when you think about Kansas City as a region, some would argue that as an overall community, there might be things we need to think about in terms of developing, attracting, and retaining diverse talent. Are there things as a community or as a region that we need to be considering if we're going to enhance our positioning as it relates to attracting and retaining diverse talent? Well, we are very fortunate in the Kansas City metro area to have very solid organizations like MARC, Mid-America Regional Council, like the Civic Council, like the chambers. And we have, of course, several chambers who have been working and who continue to work together on ensuring that Kansas City is a place where people want to stay want to come to and want to contribute. But in the work that I do in community engagement, you know, the three areas that we are really focused on for this community, as well as the other communities in our district, affordable housing, workforce development, and small business development. So it's helping individuals have the quality of life that they desire and where they can afford to have quality, safe housing, good transportation, childcare, access to education for their children. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. But the three areas of affordable housing, workforce development, and small business development are the areas that we are uniquely positioned to make a contribution. Now, culture in any organization is important. Can you talk a bit about how you have worked to reinforce an aspect of the Kansas City Fed's culture that you believe is valuable. 
Uh, one of the areas that I'm focused on every day at the Kansas City Fed is building and advancing an inclusive culture. And that's rooted in valuing people, developing people, our staff, to ensure that they feel that they can come to the bank every day and give their best because they know that they are valued, that we care about their development and their sense of belonging. Again, I know I've talked about values a lot, but our bank values inform our culture. And inclusion is one of our five bank values. And so that speaks to how important we take it. But in really ensuring that we have inclusive culture is just not my responsibility as kind of the leader of the area. But regardless of what you do and who you are at the bank, we all own an inclusive culture where we respect each other, we value opinions, and we invite different perspectives to the table. And that means we have to provide the resources where people know how to do those things and then what they look like, what those habits look like. And then we have to have accountability to make sure that we are all utilizing those habits so that we can truly have an inclusive culture. Excellent. Tammy, thank you so much for sharing your leadership insights, and thank you for your contributions to this community. We have been talking with Tammy Edwards, Senior Vice President for the Community Engagement and Inclusion Division at the Kansas City Federal Reserve, and also a Block School alumna. This podcast has been brought to you by the Marion and Henry Block Family Foundation, dedicated to making Kansas City better. For more information about the Henry W. Block School of Management, please go to block.umkc.edu.